at the last few verses of chapter 5, and we're going to go to the first few verses of chapter 6. As a reminder, for the, in the last week, we talked about Paul's instruction to Timothy um, about um, the importance of the role of the elder, right? How, 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 how you know, elders should receive double honor, right? But, but also the church is called to love the elder by rebuking him if he sins. So we're talking about the role of elders. And once again, Paul is emphasizing the important role of elders because the primary purpose of the elder is to teach the word of God to the people of God. That is the number one priority. That the role of elder is not to be a visionary or it's not to be, I don't know, a charming businessman type of person. It's not even to be a charismatic Donald Trump kind of figure. The role of the pastor is to teach the people of God the word of God. No one really told me this, by the way. In seminary, my mentor, no one really told no one sat me down and say, Jay, your work as pastor is to teach the word of God to the people of God. But that is what this role is. And it's a, this is an important role. This is an important office because God communicates his grace his wisdom, his love, his voice to you through his word. In the Bible, it is if there is one place the Bible is clear about, if there is one place that the Bible is clear about of where God speaks, it's God speaks to his people as his people study the word of God together under the leadership of the elder. So this place where you are right now in this time is one of the clearest ways that God will communicate his will to you. And that is why this office is very, very important. Look, I get an average of what? 200, 250 emails a day. That, that's how, is that how much you, get, you guys get work-wise? No? I, no? I don't know, I don't know how, how, an average, how many average emails that a person gets. I get around 200, 250 emails. I don't have to respond to all of them, but I get to like, go through all of them, right? But the issue with getting so many emails a day is this. If there is an important email that I need to answer, and if I don't look at my email inbox for like an hour, that email will be bar get buried underneath the avalanche of emails. You know what I mean? If there is a really super urgent matter that I need to attend to, and if no one points this out to me, and if I don't check my inbox in an hour, that email will get lost in the avalanche of emails. That is why I tell my paralegals, if there is an email that you want me to answer, you need to same time me, ping me, say, this is you got to answer right now, right? That's our life. We are underneath an avalanche of responsibilities and duties, right? Agree? But you need a reminder every week to tell you what is really important. Otherwise, you'll just get lost in the avalanche of the business called life without knowing anything about why you're supposed to live. That is why this office in this morning, in this time is important. 
Because in the sea of your responsibilities, this office is telling you, look to God. That's why this office is really important. And that's why Paul is instructing in today's scripture verses. The church has to be very careful in the type of man that they select as pastors of that church. Because this is an awesome responsibility, if a man wants this office, he desires a good thing. But there is much burden that comes with this office. I am so weary of young men who say, I feel the calling of God, and I'm going to be a pastor. What are, you, what are you like, Luke Skywalker in the forest? You heard the voice of Ben Kenobi? And you said, I feel God calling me, and I'm going to the office. That's a good thing. Desiring the office, this position is a good thing. But young men, I'm trying to tell you, if you desire this, God is going to hold you accountable, and you need to answer to God for sure of how you led the people of God. It's a good thing to desire, but we need to do it with fear and trembling. Because I need to answer to God about how I pastored you. And that's why I can't understand pastors who want a bigger church. I go, why do you want that kind of responsibility, man? But it's not only the pastor, a man who has to be very discerning about whether he's truly called or not. The church is also responsible for selecting the right person. Because according to Paul, if the church selects the wrong person to pastor the flock, then the church will be responsible for the sins of that man. So both parties, the man who desires the office and the church who selects the pastor, has to be very fearful, very careful about who they select as pastors of this church. Do you understand? Let's go. Verse 22. Do not be hasty in the laying of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. What does Paul mean when he says, do not be hasty in the laying of hands? This is the early church, the earliest church, baby church, church in its infancy, right? Before seminaries, before Bible colleges, there was a church. And each local church selected their own pastors. And how do they select their own pastors? They, they observed men among congregation. And if the man proved himself, the, the, the leaders of the church will, will call the man up and they will ordain that man by laying the hands on that man. Are you, you understand? That's how a lot of Baptist churches do it, by the way, right? I mean, Presbyterian church, Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian churches have this incredible, they systematize ordination. It's fantastic. But a lot of Baptist churches, congregational churches, they still select pastors among the congregation. And they lay their hands to ordain that man. That's the type of practice that Paul is saying here. But Paul is saying, 
Do not be hasty in laying on hands. Do not be hasty, church, in ordaining someone as your pastor. Don't make a quick decision. Be very, very careful. That's what Paul is saying in verse 22. Because this office has, a, has the power to enliven, rejuvenate the church, or it has the power to destroy the church. You understand? This office, not me, but this office has the power to rejuvenate the church or destroy the church. And the only way that this office, the holder of this office, can rejuvenate the church is to faithfully preach and teach the word of God. That's the only way. Look, I was listening to an interview by Steve Lawson. I love Steve Lawson. An older pastor, he's fiery. Man, that guy's fiery. And someone asked Steve Lawson, Dr. Lawson, it appears that there there aren't that many churches in America that preaches the word of God. There are a lot of churches, but there aren't that many churches that preaches the word of God. And this is kind of true, because like one of the guys who used to come to our church, when they visited other churches, and, and the question that our former church guy asked the people of the church was, does your church do expository preaching? Going to the Bible verse, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. They, he asked that. Does your pastor do expository preaching? A lot of the churches in this area says, man, no. There are still churches in this area that does that? What we do here is an anomaly. And so someone asked Steve Lawson, Steve Lawson, why, do not, why don't men preach the word of God? He says there's three main reasons. But churches don't preach the word of God. Number one. Number one is because churches select men as pastors who do not know that that's, their, that's what their responsibility is. Right? These churches select pastors, who, men who don't think their primary responsibility is to preach the word of God. Or the churches select pastors who don't know how to do this who don't know how to preach out of the word of God. They don't know how to do it. That's the second reason. But churches don't do expository preaching. Third reason, he said, it's because churches really don't want a guy who preaches faithfully to the word of God. They don't. They want a nice guy. They want a guy with short messages. Right? They want a guy who will be your friend. They want a guy who's just your buddy. They don't want a guy who preaches the word of God. Why aren't there more churches preaching the word of God? Because churches don't want that. Churches don't want their pastors to preach the word of God. But the problem with doing that is that if a man doesn't preach the word of God faithfully, there can be no life in the church. That's God's clear promise in the word. If you believe in the Bible, that's what the Bible clearly says. The word, the, the, 
the lifeline, the lifeline of the church is the word of God. But if pastors aren't doing it, how can there be life in that church? Paul says, do not be hasty in laying of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. What this, nor take part in the sins of others, what this verse means is, if you select the wrong man, because you don't want a guy who preaches the word of God, then all the life, all, this, all the sin that that pastor will commit, all the lifelessness of that church will be whose responsibility? The pastor's? No, you. You're participating in that sin, he says. Not you, embrace, obviously, you didn't live 2,000 years ago. But if, if the church selects the wrong pastor, the church is complicit in the lifelessness and the sin of that pastor. Therefore, be very careful in who you choose as a pastor. Application. Embrace. I don't think you're, you're in the process of selecting a pastor anytime soon. Right? I don't know. Hope to God, like, Maybe, I don't know, things can happen, right? But <laughs> God willing, you're not in the position of selecting a new pastor. So this may not be directly relevant to you. But what this, how this passage is relevant to you is you need to be confident in the word of God. Churches don't select men who preach the word of God. Because they are not confident that the word of God is what, 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 they, what is needed to save and mature them. Churches don't select people who preach the word of God because churches, don't, churches do not have confidence in the word of God. Preachers don't preach the word of God because they don't have confidence in the word of God. Man, I look at some of the, like the, a lot of the church's websites and I look at their sermon series it's all like sermon series with catchy phrases like impact or community or, I don't know, financial responsibility. All fine topics. But I think a lot of them preach topical sermons because they're not fully confident in what the word of God could do. I'm here to tell you. The word of God is the only means in which a person's nature is, in which person's nature truly changed. Jesus, Matthew 24, verse 30, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. These are the words of Jesus. Heaven and earth can pass away, but my words can never pass away. His word is eternal. His word is life. And you need to believe it. Do you understand? You need to have confidence in it every day. You, you need this. Look, this week, I don't know, if, because I was, I was taking tomorrow, yesterday, like on Friday off, I tried to do all my work so I can have like time off on Friday. But that meant... I work like 17 hours on Thursday. I think my limit is 17 hours. I, th I think that's my limit. And man, after working 17 hours, by the way, Sean, that's why I wrote you a short text. Sean texted me on Thursday of, of a, a two 
two bubble questions. And I go, oh, man. And I answered with, not yet, right? Is that because I was ghosting you? I was in the middle of a 17-hour project. And after that marathon, I was spent. I spent Friday just collapsing in my bed, not doing anything. And my wife said, come on, I'll buy you dinner. I go, because no one buys food for me. She goes, I'll buy you dinner. Anything you want. So we went, and I got fed, and I felt better. But that didn't really get me out of it because I was feeling really burnt out. You know what got me out of being burnt out? Yesterday in my basement, praying over this sermon, where the word of God started to come alive in my mind. Oh, the energy, the spiritual rejuvenation. Oh, I felt it last night. I was comatose Friday, Saturday. I was comatose. I wrote this sermon in a half comatose state. But last night, oh, I came alive. And that's what the word of God does to you and to me. That is why this preaching, you need to have confidence in the word of God. Look, I was listening to a podcast by this guy named um, Pastor Bart Berber. Man, Bart Berber. Berber? Man, I speak good English. Bart Berber. He's pastor from Farmville, Texas. Bart Berber from Farmville, Texas. A little outside of Dallas. A little small town. He's been preaching in that small town church for 25 years. And he says, staying there, faithfully preaching the word of God. He sees progressive growth, spiritual maturity in the life of his people. Staying somewhere for 25 years, faithfully preaching. You could see the fruits of life developing in the life of his congregation. That's true growth. And that's what God wants, and that's what I'm striving for. Look, I'm old enough where I see very different Christian movements. There was the Pentecostal movement. There was this movement. There's that movement. There's the Young Reckless and Reform movement. There's all these movements. But you know what all these movements have in common? They're popular for a while, and they fade away. All the man-made movements are popular for a while, but they fade away. What endures forever is the word of God working within the people of God. Okay, this is a time where I'm going to be a little bit offensive. Okay, a little bit offensive. Here we go. I think many Christians, including pastors, their spiritual maturity, their understanding of God is stuck in their youth group phase or college phase. Any phase of their lives where they felt the presence of God, especially in their youth, 
their spiritual phase is stuck there. It's really weird. It doesn't go any deeper than that. I call it nostalgic faith. The basis of your faith is the nostalgia that you remembered of when God, when you felt close to God when you were younger. Are you with me so far? The basis of their faith is not their knowledge of Jesus Christ, but the nostalgia that they had when they were younger. And this is the offensive part. While we are thankful for that experience in your life, many of those experiences you had based on the ministry of particular people. And while we are thankful for God using those particular people in your life back then, a lot of the things that they were teaching you are methods are their interpretation of Christianity and not the word of God. If I ask people, especially Korean Americans, what their faith is like, all of, them, all of you have similar stories. I went to youth group camp and I did this, da 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 Fine. But your faith is built on an experience you had back in the day. And those experiences cannot deepen your faith, primarily because a lot of those experiences were were based on methods of men and women. Do you understand? It is the same story over and over again. Youth group camp, summer retreat, you felt the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's the basis of your faith. Even until now, that's the basis of your faith. But that whole thing that you did go through is not really biblical because there's no Bible verse that says, go to a retreat over the summer when you're youth group and then you won't see God. There's no Bible verse that says that. It's based on nostalgia. And when I ask people about their Christianity, a lot of them just mimic their Christianity based upon the influence of the youth pastor they met back in the day. But it's not true knowledge of the living God. Your faith has to be more than nostalgia. It has to be based on the living, working, breathing power of God and his word. Do not make your faith mere just form only. But let it be power, daily power, as you get, as you feed from the word of God. You understand? So churches have to be very selective in who they select as pastors. Verse 24. Verse 23, we're going to skip. Small group leaders, it's up to you to decipher what Paul means when you say use a little alcohol. Okay? Timothy had a problem with his stomach. Evidently, alcohol kind of aided in his stomach. There's spiritual implication for that, but small group leaders, it's up to you to figure out the spiritual implication of that. Let's do the 24. Then if the church should not be hasty in ordaining people, who, how do you decipher? How do you know who to ordain? 24, the sins of some people. Some people here means candidates for pastorship. The sins of some people are conspicuous. 
going before them to judgment. But the sins of other people, others, appear later. How do you decipher whether a man is called to be a pastor? Look at two things. Their sins. And number two, the fruit of their labor. Verse 24 says, there are some sins that is just blatantly, it's just as clear as day that this man is not qualified for an eldership. There are certain sins that men commit that clearly disqualifies them from that office. Example of such sin is like 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul lists the quality of elders, right? If the man doesn't possess these qualities, he's not fit. For example, those who are not faithful to their wives shouldn't be pastors, including dudes who watch pornography. You shouldn't, that's, not, that's being unfaithful to your spouse. You shouldn't be a pastor. Who are not self-controlled, who do not have sober minds, who are not hospitable, who are drunkards, who love money, who love to fight, who are violent. These sins are evident. And when these sins are present, clearly visible in a person, do not select the person to be a pastor. One of the most heartbreaking things in my life was I was really close to this guy. And he really wanted to be a pastor. He really did. But the problem is, he was just constantly fighting with people. Like, all the time. With the youth group kids, with the EM kids, with the pastors. And he really wanted to be a pastor. And I had to tell him, fella, I don't think you're called for this office. And that offended him so much, he just disowned me. But that's what the church is supposed to do. When certain sins are conspicuous, don't select that man as an elder. Other sins are less less conspicuous. They appear later. Therefore, Church cannot just be hasty. Oh, we have a need for a pastor. You're a pastor. No. Observe that person's life for a long time if they need it. Because after a while, their sins will be revealed. You can never hide people's sins. Guys, if I was a drunkard and a womanizer, and if I was with you for nine years, it would have come up by now. If I loved money, more than God, it would have been kind of obvious now because people cannot hide sins for nine years, right? That's why Paul says, observe a person's, if the person has a pattern of sin, look, obviously there's no one perfect, right? But there's two types of Christians. The first type of Christian is thinking Agreeing that, that he's a sinner in theory, but never really reali- never really feeling that he is. Just kind of functionally denying that he's a sinner. There are a lot of pastors like that. They agree, understand the concept of sin, but functionally, they don't think they're sinners. Or, they're guys who know they're sinners. Because they're constantly in the presence of God. And yet, God 
reveals their sin, they repent, and God uses those sins to mature them. If there's a guy, he's a pastor, who thinks of sin only in theory and doesn't understand functional reality of sin and the fact that Christ forgave him, do not select such a man. Okay? Look at the, look at the man's sin. If the man is clearly sinning, don't select him. Number two, verse 24. So also good works are conspicuous. And even those that are not, those are not, cannot remain hidden. He's saying, look at the person's sin. But not only look at the person's sin, but look at the person's track record. Look at the person's fruit of the person's labor. Meaning, has God used that man to save souls? Has God used the te- that man's preaching to rejuvenate and enliven the church? Has that man's ministry been fruitful? Right? You cannot select a man who has been preaching for decades, and yet there's no convert. Do you understand? That man does not fit too often. I know there are a lot of people who rely upon the inner call of God. I feel God calling me. Hot dog, good for you, praise God, right? But the question is, not only do you feel called, but has God used you, used your work to rejuvenate the church? I don't mean has God used you to build, draw a lot of people to his church? Guys, what's the point of being a pastor of a large church if the large church is just filled with lukewarm Christians? I have no desire to be a pastor filled with church with lukewarm Christians. What is that? That's not what God means by fruit. By fruit means, has God used you to make a difference? In someone's life? Look, back to, back to Pastor Bart Berber. Pastor Bart grew up in, in the different towns in Texas. Besides for Austin and Dallas and Houston, there are little mini towns in Texas. They're really, really small. And he said, he said, when he grew up in a small town in Texas, and during when he was growing up, his youth group comprised of two kids, him and his buddy John. That was a youth group. Him and his buddy John and a youth pastor. But that youth pastor, John says, faithfully taught him and his friend John the word of God for four years. And Pastor Bart and Pastor Bart and his friend John both went to both became seminary and they became pastors who preached the word of God because they were influenced by the youth pastor. And now Pastor Bart has a congregation of 300. Pastor John also has a congregation of hundreds of people. And Pastor Bart and Pastor John are now faithfully preaching the word of God. That youth pastor directly impacted maybe two people. But indirectly, All the maturity that Pastor Bart sees in his congregation 
was indirectly impacted by that youth pastor. That's the fruit that the Bible talks about. It has God used the man to do such things in some people's lives. It's not enough for you to feel that you're called by God. Have you been used by God? Select such men. How is this related to you? Once again, we are in no urgent need to fill this pastoral position. But just as Paul says, there are no sins that are hidden forever, and there's no good works that are hidden forever. Everything will eventually be revealed. That's the point of verse 23 and 24 is. Guys, when we go before God, the Bible says there are two things that will be clearly revealed. Our sins and our works. Guys, biblically speaking, if God doesn't exist, if Jesus has not rose from the dead, then there is no meaning to anything. There, there isn't. There's no meaning to anything. But if God exists and Jesus rose from the dead, then everything has meaning. Everything is holy. Everything has meaning, including your work. Two things will be revealed at the end. Will be clearly seen your sins and the work that you've done. Regarding your sins, if you are a Christian, when you see your sins truly, clearly, you will praise Christ more for saving a person like you. When you see your sins before God, when your sins are clearly revealed to you for the Christian, that will lead to praising of God even more. How can God save a person like me? My God, great God, Christ is great. And you will exalt God, Christ, when you see your sins before God. But for the unbeliever, when they see their sins clearly for the first time, they will think it will be right for God to destroy them. And that's true. Look, you know the movie Star is Born? Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga? For those of you who don't know, spoiler alert, but get over it. This is like, that's an 80-year-old movie. Get over it, right? In that movie, Bradley Cooper plays this country music superstar who has an addiction problem. And his addiction problem is interfering with Lady Gaga's life. But he just didn't realize it, right? And at the end of the movie, Late after he came back, comes back from rehab, Lady Gaga's manager tells Bradley Cooper, you know, you are bringing her down. You say you love her, but you are bringing her down. Your sickness is bringing her down. And Bradley Cooper is such a great actor. When he says that in that scene, when he hears that, you can see, a light, you can see his light, eyes and his light lit up and say, yes, that's true. My sin, my addiction is hurting the person that I love. And you know what he did when he had that realization? He committed suicide. 
when we see our sins clearly, we think it will be the most right thing, most just thing to do for God to punish us. How confident are you? Because there's no, your sins will not be hidden forever. The thing that you think you can get away with, it will not be hidden forever. It will be revealed. Will you praise Christ when your sins are revealed? Or will you think it is the most just thing for you to be punished? Do you understand his grace right now? Do you understand the love of Christ for you right now? Do you understand his grace to you right now in that way? The second thing you're remembered for is your work. Jesus is clear. Do not store yourself treasures on earth. Store yourself treasures in heaven, meaning your work here will add towards your treasures of heaven. Jesus says, do not build your life on sand. Build your life on rock of Christ. Because eventually, all the things that you've built here that it was not built on Christ will be wiped away and destroyed. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, all our works, God will test all our works by exposing our works to fire. And your work can be burned up if this wasn't for the glory of God. Your work, listen to me very carefully, your work, how you are, how Sean is working for Raytheon, right? How, you know, Hill is working for Kearney. I'm very impressed with your employer. How Josh works for Deloitte. How John works for covert op, right? Well, whatever, whatever, like, what you do. will be tested, will be subject to fire. How you loved your wife, how you raised your kids, how you served the church, everything will be put into a fire. And if you worked for the glory of God, you will receive the crown of life. But if you have nothing to show for your life, you may be saved. But your treasures in heaven will be very, very, very limited. Your works matter. You understand? I know there's a certain way that we look at our work. We look at our work as a means to an end. We look at our work as, you know, for some of us, we look at at our work as a social, you know, our social identity, right? But the problem, and, and it's true, work is there to provide for you and your family. Work certainly is a certain, certainly a means to an end to a certain extent. And certainly, society kind of views you in terms of the work that you do. It's true. But the way the Christian looks at work is the work is more about you. 
Work is more about you getting what you want through that job. Work is more than the name you have through that company. Work exists so that you will glorify God and be used by God to spread his word. Glorify God's name means, basically glorifying God means through you, people will see how great God is. That's what glorifying God means. Your work exists so that through you, people will glorify God. They will glorify, how, they will say how great God is. Through your work, God wants to use it to spread his word. I mean, obviously, we don't have much time to dive into it, but we'll continue next week. But this is Paul's message to the slaves. A lot of the church members in the church of Ephesus were slaves in the Roman Empire. In the Roman Empire, 33% of the population were slaves. Okay, 33%. 60 million people were slaves. Okay? When you think of slave, you're thinking about Slavery in, 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 in 1700, 1800s America, right? And we just naturally go there. But slavery was a little bit different in the way that it was, it, was, it was practiced in the Roman Empire. It's true, slaves were the lowest class of people in the Roman Empire. But, there were, but slavery was not solely based on race. Some people were slaves because... Rome conquered, and trust me, Rome conquered a lot of places. A lot of those places that Rome conquered, the, 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 the people, citizens of those countries, a lot of them were subject to slavery. Criminals in Rome, you did a crime, one of the ways that you pay for your crime is to be a slave for a time. One of the ways that you, let's say you're in debt. Let's say you racked up $70,000 in credit card debt because you're 19... I saw a 60-minute clip yesterday about a 19-year-old girl who racked up $70,000 in clothing, TVs, and whatever, and she blames the bank for making her depend on credit. It's the strangest thing. Let's say you're $70,000 in debt. The way you pay it off in the Roman Empire, be a slave. Some people were slaves because their parents sold their kids to slavery. Why? Because... That's one of the ways that you know, parents would know, their kids would be provided for. And some were just straight out evil like today. Some were like kidnapped and subject to slavery. So there's the, the origins of slaves. There's a lot of different ways that people become slaves. But slaves in the Roman Empire were not just manual laborers. They were artists. They were teachers. A lot of the teachers, a lot of the Teachers who, who, who taught kids were slaves. Doctors were slaves. Okay? And there are different types of slavery. But Paul's main point is, do not let slavery trouble you. Do not let the fact that you're a slave trouble you. And we're going to talk more about it next week. Verse 1 says, 
rather than trying to seek freedom, Paul says, honor your master. And the word honor means have a deep respect for your master that will translate into excellent work. That's what it means. Why? It is so that when you honor your master and when you, when you do excellent work, your, man, your master will have respect for you. And when they have respect for you, they will have respect for what you have to say. And when you tell your master the gospel after earning respect, your, your gospel will be more persuasive. Look, I manage people. Right? I, I'm, a, I'm a manager, right? Yay. There are employees I, who, go, who go above and beyond, truly. They try to figure things out. They're very proactive. They know what to look for. They, they know what I like. They know what to look for, and they do it. My gosh, they, lay, they make my life so easy. And there are other workers I know who are there just doing the bare minimum. They don't, they make the same mistakes. They clock out at exactly the time they're supposed to clock out. They do the bare minimum. And they make me very mad. But the question is, among these two groups of people, who do you think I have the respect for? The first group. Truly. Isn't it natural for me to have respect for the first group? How can I have respect for people who are just phoning it in? It doesn't work that way, right? Whatever these people, if one of them were Christian and trying to convert me, I would be more open to listening to these people whom I respect more than, the, more than people who just phone it in. If the people who phone it in tells me they're Christian and try to evangelize to me, why would I listen to them? Right? You listen to people whom you respect. That is why Christian workers, it doesn't matter whether your manager is nasty or not, honor your, truly respect your managers and your bosses. I know you can give me a laundry list of why your manager stinks. I'm pretty sure my paralegals can give me a laundry list of why I stink. I can't imagine why, but I'm very scary sometimes. I'm very intense. But you honor them and do excellent work for them so that your testimony can be persuasive and powerful. That's the type of work that God will remember when you go before him. Would God remember a guy who phoned it in? Quiet quitting all the time. You know what quiet quitting is, right? Like kind of doing the bare minimum, right? Just get by. No. We'll continue next week. Let's pray.